Good morning. Good morning, Epic. Glad to have you here. Anybody excited about the nice, cool weather out there we have today? Just a few of you. Yeah, a few of us are really happy about it, and some might be sad to see the warm weather go. Um, anybody see the cloud formation over the ocean this morning? Anybody like up at six? Like my wife and I were up? Okay, it was really, really cool. This long formation almost looked like a mountain range. It was really cool. I almost thought like the armies of heaven were like coming back to get us or something. It was really cool. Just kind of a moment I was excited about, but apparently they didn't come, so we're going to carry on today. Anybody get to make it to the block party yesterday over at Palm Coast Community Church? A few of you, a great uh, turnout over there. Thanks for those of you who came over there with us to help them celebrate what they were doing. Just an incredible day. Um, If you notice that I might look like a raccoon, I had my sunglasses on all day and uh, was sitting in the dunk tank, and it got it kind of cold in the dunk tank in the sun. So um, I'm actually warming up now, so I have uh, this on today to keep helping me warm up. Because this afternoon, we also have a baptism planned for anybody that's going to be baptized here. And uh, so God turned the temperature down just a little bit for us today, and it's going to be an incredible day. If you would grab a Bible around you, or if you brought your own Bible, just grab that. I'm going to ask you to turn to Romans chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible and would like one, please raise your hand, and uh, one of our lovely ushers will run them around to you. So just raise your hand if you need a Bible. So hang out in Romans chapter 3, found on page 859. And I am going to be flying through a bunch of verses today, and so I don't want you to feel like you've got to keep up with me, because all of the verses that I use in the message are online on our website at theepicchurch.com. So you can go there, and under our resources tab, you can find all the verses that we've used today, as well as some deeper study questions for you. But just hang out in Romans chapter 3. That's where we're going to be spending a little more time today. Let's pray together as we begin. God, I just want to thank you for being the incredible storyteller that you are. Lord, the one who's crafted this incredible story that we live in. Lord, over the past few weeks, we've been hearing about the story, being reminded of it. And today, it unfolds in an incredible way. Lord, we see the kingdom restored. And so, Lord, I pray that you would transform our hearts with your truth. Lord, we're here with open hearts and open minds. We want to be taught by you. We want to be transformed into the people that you've designed us to be. Lord, we want to find our place in the story, and we want to live out that role in a way that honors you. So transform us today, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you were here with us from the beginning, I'm going to go back and recap some, so if you were not here with us from the beginning, you're going to catch up real quick today on the journey that we've been on over these past five weeks. We started with this idea that we all live in a story. We were born into a story that started before time began, a story that's been going on for a very long time. And this story that we've been placed in, this story that we found ourselves in, is a story waiting to be engaged, a story that invites us into the deeper elements of it. And we found that we have a role to play in this story. There's a part that each one of us has to play in this story, and yet most of us are confused about that part. We're confused about the story. We're confused about the elements of the story, the characters in the story, the plot, the role, uh, the the, the ways that we can be engaged in this story. We're kind of confused about that. And so we learned that Christianity comes and offers us some answers to those questions and offers them in the form of a story, a, a story of great adventure, of great risk 
of great sacrifice, a story that has some courageous heroes who battle hideous villains, as we've learned in the story. And we were reminded that we cannot fully understand this story that we've fallen into until we get to know some of the characters. So the first character that we met was the main character of the story, because the story is about him. It's actually his story, and it's God himself, the author of the story. We understood that he is a creator. He is the creator God who unfolded creation with just a spoken word. We understood several things about him. Now, I've said, each week I've said one thing about God, that he is the only one in the story. I'm going to test you here. It's a little pop quiz, okay? See if anybody remembers. He's the only one in the story that does three things, that always does what is good, good, right, and perfect. perfect. Way to go, class. Good job. Good job. Give yourselves an A. All right, we understood that God exists as three in one, something that we may not fully understand, but God exists in community, the reality that God has never been alone. We understood that God is a caring God, a very personal God. So as God is creating, he speaks and things happen. And then he gets to humanity and he places his hands on us and crafts us carefully. And then he breathes the breath of life inside of us. So we understand that God is a very personal God, a very caring God. And we understand that we have been made in his image, unique out of all creation. Humanity has been made in the image of God. And then our story took its very first radical twist with the entrance of evil. And we learned about this angel by the name of Lucifer. Now, Lucifer was placed in a special position out of all the angels. He got the the position called, he was the guardian angel, kind of the, the captain of the guard of all the angels of heaven. And he had these special possessions. The Bible taught that he is the most beautiful angel. The angel of light and and called the bright morning star. And we found in Ezekiel 28 that Lucifer was given great wealth. I mean, God just blessed Lucifer beyond belief. And yet Lucifer was not happy, wasn't content with his position, wasn't content with his possession, said it's not enough. I want more. I got to have more. I want to be like God. I want to set my throne above God's stars. I want to be just like him. And then Lucifer went and convinced a third of the angels of heaven to rebel against God. And we read in Revelation chapter 12, it said this, Then there was war in heaven. Michael and the angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. So Lucifer and his angels get a name change. They become Satan and the demons. So Satan's main goal in life is to destroy all of humanity, to destroy what God has created and to destroy what God loves. So Satan doesn't like God's rules. He didn't like how God set this stuff up. So he turns his anger onto God's creation. He turns his anger and his attention onto what God loves most. And so every day, Satan launches an all-out attack against humanity. Every day, you and I are in the crosshairs of Satan. Every day, he's after you. Every day, he wants to see you destroyed. Every day, he wants to, to devour you. And we found in James chapter 1, in verse 14, it said this, Temptation comes from our own evil desires, which entice us and drag us away. 
These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So we learned that evil doesn't only come from Satan. Sometimes it comes from us. And we learned that the sad thing about our story is sometimes we are the villain. You know, sometimes I'm the villain. Sometimes I'm the one that's destroying the humanity that's around me. Sometimes I'm the one that's bringing the heartache into the world. Sometimes I'm not the solution. Sometimes I'm the problem. Last week, we entered the battle for the heart. We had Tony Putnam here, and he was teaching us about our first epic battle as humans. This incredible battle that happened a long time ago. And so I'll just remind you of that again. So we had God, he creates the earth as a perfect place for humanity to live. And God carefully crafts us as humans and places us in this perfect place. Everything is going really great. God provides for their every need. Everything they could ever want, Adam and Eve, have it in a relationship with God and in this place that they're placed on the earth. It's a great relationship. God shows up, hangs out with Adam and Eve. Can you imagine hanging out with God? I mean, how cool would that be? Yeah, God and I are going to hang out later today, like maybe three or something. So God shows up, hangs out with Adam and Eve. They do really cool things. God shows them the best way to live, like a loving parent. He says, let me show you the best way to live. Let me show you how to do this. Let me show you how to do that. Let me show you how to care for the garden. Let me show you how to live in a way that brings honor and glory to me and you. And God would leave them alone, and they'd get to hang out together and enjoy God's company. So then God places two trees in the center of the garden. If you remember that from the story, God places the tree of life and a tree known as the knowledge of good and evil. And we'll call for that one for short, we'll call that the tree of death. Because God said, if you eat of the fruit of that tree, you will die. So we've got the tree of life, we've got the tree of death. God gives one instruction, okay, just one instruction. Don't eat of the tree of death. Stay away from that fruit. So Satan comes along and he tempts Adam and Eve into believing that God is holding out on them. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, they've got everything they could ever want. And the enemy comes along and says, you know what? God's got something that you don't have, something that you need. You've got to want this because it's really incredible. And if you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God. And so there's this great temptation there, this great epic battle, this decision for Adam and Eve, what will they do? Will they trust God, what he's provided for them, and how he interacts and loves them? Or will they trust this serpent that's whispering this lie to them? And we all know how the story unfolded. So they chose poorly. Take a bite of the fruit, and God's heart is broken. I mean, it's just torn in two. I mean, the the ones that he created that he loves so dearly have just decided to rebel against him. Just decided that he's not a good God, that he's holding out on them. Just decided that he's not worth trusting. And so his heart is broken and he comes to confront Adam and Eve. And the blame game starts. Anybody familiar with the blame game? You know, it's not my fault. So God confronts humanity and Adam has the gall to blame God. God, the woman you gave me, if you would have given me a different woman, you know, if maybe her name was Tammy instead of uh, Eve, you know, maybe she would have chose better. I don't know. And so then God turns to Eve and Eve says, you know, it was the serpent's fault. It wasn't my fault. The serpent tempted me and I took the bait. So as a result of their decision, our relationship with God was broken. 
Humanity has this broken relationship, and yet God still loves humanity deeply. But he could not allow their sin to go unpunished. Because of God's love, he could not allow that sin to go unpunished. And so God places them outside of the garden. And their decision brings about a curse onto the world, brings a curse into the story. The very first curse that we find ourselves in, a curse of sin, a curse of death, is blanketed over the whole world. You know, the world that we live in is not as it once was. It, it was very different a long time ago. It was perfect. And yet now we live in a fallen world, a world broken by sin, a world that desperately needs to be fixed, a world that needs to be saved, a world that needs someone to reach in from the outside and to change it to radically change it because we've messed it up. And every really good story has a rescue mission in it, if you think about it. You know, you've got this tension. There's something really bad has happened, and it's almost as if there's no hope left. And, and there's a need for someone to step in and do something radically different in order to save those that are captive. Well, our story has the same thing. And every great story has this rescue mission in it because our story has the most incredible rescue mission ever. So out of God's great love for humanity, he devises a rescue plan. He devises a mission that he's going to unfold. And so in the Old Testament, the part of the Bible written before the life of Jesus, God devises this plan, a plan of restoration. And so it goes a little bit like this. So it's a way for humanity to be made right with God, to come back into a right relationship with him. And so it has two parts to it. The first part is this. God said, if you'll take a perfect animal, one without broken bones or that's in good health, it's not sickly or anything like that, and if you will sacrifice its life, if you will kill this animal, and you will offer it to me, then I will overlook your sins for a year. In the Old Testament, that was God's plan. And so God asks humans to take something of great value. And if you think about it, you know, what is the most valuable thing that we can offer? Period. It's not your money. It's not your possessions. It's your life. It's your life. And so God says, if you will take the life of an animal and sacrifice it, it's the most valuable thing, then I will forgive you your sins for a year. And so this day of atonement was set up. So this concept that every year people would come to the temple of God and they would offer sacrifices to God so that God would forgive their sins over that past year. So every family would bring either a lamb or a goat and they would present it to a priest. So they would come to the priest and say, here is our offering. We present this to you. The priest would inspect this offering to make sure that it was acceptable and then would offer that animal on behalf of the sins of that family for that year. Now, the sins of the family would obviously be figuratively placed upon this animal. So you've got this, this innocent animal that has not done anything wrong, and it figuratively gets all the sin placed upon it of what this family has done. And so that plan was known as substitutionary atonement. Now, that's a big word, um, a couple of big words. And it simply means someone else will pay for your sins. Someone else will pay for your debt. Wouldn't it be great if somebody else showed up and said, hey, I'll pay your credit card debt off? I mean, that'd be awesome. Same kind of concept there, okay? So, an innocent animal is going to die for a guilty family. 
So we've got this substitution thing going on there. So for hundreds of years, substitutionary atonement was practiced. It was just something people did all the time. They fully understood what that meant to be back in a right relationship with God for a short period of time. You offer a sacrifice. All right, so the second part of God's plan was known as the law. So uh, we messed up with one instruction from God. And so God says, you know, I'm going to give you a whole lot more. I'm going to make it even more clear of what I want you to do and what I don't want you to do. So God sets up these laws and says, I want you to live this way. And the law was designed to teach us the best way to live. But there's a problem with the law that God set up and all these rules that he came up with was that no one could fulfill them. No one could live up to the laws. No one could do it. We may be able to do one here or two there, but no one could live up to all the requirements of the law. And so God does something unthinkable. It's amazing how the story twists here again in our story. In John chapter 1, it says this, In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So the Word, over in verse 14, it says this, So the Word became human and made His home among us. Our hero has just stepped onto the scene. Our hero has just shown up. Jesus, God in human form, steps out of the splendor of heaven, and steps into his creation, steps into the story that is unfolding, becomes a human, and says, I'm here to now help. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, it says this, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Aren't you glad that God is God and you're not and I'm not? Because I wouldn't leave the splendor of heaven. And yet God did. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So our hero is now on the scene. John chapter 1 tells about this guy by the name of John the Baptist who is given this incredible privilege to make an announcement to the world that the hero is on his way. So John chapter 1, starting in verse 29, it says this. Then the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said this. So here's John speaking, and there's a lot of people around, and he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now if you think about it, when John spoke those words, the people around him fully knew what Lamb of God meant. They fully knew what that whole statement was. Here's a guy who's going to take away the sin of the world. Now it threw them just a little bit because they're used to animal sacrifices. They're used to being made right with God by bringing this animal. And now John goes, look, here's the guy. This guy's going to die for you. And not only you, but the whole entire world. Then Jesus comes along and he starts making these radical statements. John 3.3, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And then Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one path, 
There's only one way. There aren't a million. There aren't a bunch of different ways. There there isn't a way to just worship God any way you want and you'll find him. That's not true. Jesus, the hero, comes in and says, there's one way. And let me show you that one way. Then a guy by the name of Paul comes along and he explains the purpose of the laws that God set up in the Old Testament. All right, so Romans chapter 3 is where you should be in your Bible. Page 859, Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 19. It says this, The law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So the purpose of the law was just to show us we can't make it. We can't live up to the law. There's nothing that we can do to meet its requirements. The law proves to us that we need a savior, that we need a hero to step into our story and rescue us. Now, verse 21 continues like this. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. No matter who you are, you're made right with God by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Then over in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says this, For the wages of sin is death. So everybody's sinned. Everybody's done wrong. Nobody has lived up to the standard. And what we deserve for that is death. According to God's righteousness and the plan that he set up, we all deserve to die. No matter how big the sins that we have committed are or how small they are. God says, rebellion against me deserves death. Back in Romans 3, starting in verse 24. Yet God. I just love those two words. Yet God. So it's at this hopeless moment, this moment where we go, who's going to save us? Who's going to step in and do anything for us? Because we're hopeless. There's nothing that we can do about this scenario that we've found ourselves in. There's no way we can clean up the mess that we've made. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Verse 25, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sins. Get the the weight of that verse right there. God required that we present a sacrifice that would be honorable and acceptable to him. God places himself under those same requirements. He offers a sacrifice. He presents a sacrifice. So he comes and presents this sacrifice of great value his most prized possession, his greatest relationship, the one that he loves the most, his son. He says, I'm willing to allow my son. I'm going to present my innocent son. Now, I have four kids. I would not sacrifice any of my kids for anyone. Can you imagine? God says, you know what? I've got this great relationship with my son. And the son says, I'll go. I'll be the hero. I'll die for those who don't deserve it. So God says, here is my innocent son in your place. will die for you. 
so you don't have to. In John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, probably the most famous verses in the Bible. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So it's out of incredible love, God says, I'll offer my son Jesus for you. And it's out of incredible love that Jesus says, I'll die so you can live. I'll take your place. Now we have a music video that has been put together to the song, How Deep the Father's Love. And it's pictures, images taken from the Passion of the Christ. And I want you to watch this, and as you watch it, reflect on how deep the Father's love is for all of humanity across the entire world for you and for me. And realize you will never cross paths with someone for whom Christ did not die. You will never cross paths with someone whom Jesus didn't give his life for, whom Jesus doesn't love beyond what we can imagine. Watch this video with me. You know, it's always humbling for me to watch those images, to watch the Passion of the Christ and to hear that song, to really understand that God knew that humanity was imprisoned under a curse of sin and death, a curse that, that we brought onto ourselves. We were stuck. We couldn't get out. We couldn't free ourselves. And so out of this incredible love for humanity, our hero draws his sword and he charges into darkness knowing the price that he will pay, knowing what he will have to do in order to break that curse and free us. God knew that restoring humanity would cost him everything, everything. God set up the plan. He knew what it would cost and he did it anyway. And so he drew his sword, he charged the darkness. His innocent son would die so that we could live. We will never be able to fully grasp what Jesus went through. We'll never be able to fully grasp the weight of sin that Jesus carried. You know, I can just imagine in that moment as you understand who Satan is and how much he hates humanity, how much he hates God. And I almost envision him having this interaction with Jesus. We know that, that he tempted Jesus. We know he had several interactions with Jesus throughout Scripture. But I can almost imagine that he, he almost in a laugh says, You, Jesus, want to die for these people who turned against you? Why would you want to do that? That's ridiculous. Okay, so Jesus, you want to die for these people? Here's the deal. You're going to die the most horrific death imaginable. Every evil I can muster will be thrown at you. It will be the most horrific experience you've, you could ever imagine. You will die, and you will die like no one else has ever died. So go ahead and die. And Jesus says, I love humanity. I'm willing to. I love those people I created. I put my hands on them. They're my kids. I love them. I'm going to die for them. 
And so Satan unleashes all the power available to him in the evil. And listen to what Hebrews chapter 12 says in verse 2. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Jesus didn't want to die. It's not something that he just wanted to do, but he did because he knew it would restore us to God. And the Bible is this incredible story of God pursuing us. The more you read the Bible, the more you study it, the deeper you go in it, the more you see the pattern is true. We rebel against God and he comes after us. Every day, God is pursuing you because he loves you. He reaches out to humanity all the time to demonstrate his great love for us. And there's only one way to be restored to God. Contrary to what Oprah might tell you, there's only one way. And that is by believing in Jesus Christ. Believing what he did for you. Romans three twenty five says, People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And Romans 10, 9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved. You'll be freed. That sin, that curse that's around you will be broken. God's plan of restoration is amazing. Jesus died so that we could live. Now I'm going to ask Luke to come back up and he's going to guide us in a, kind of a closing worship song called The Stand. And as Luke is singing that, I just ask you to reflect on what God has done for you. What, reflect on what God has done for all of us. That Jesus died and now he's standing up for you as your hero to defend you. And think about that, the weight of that, as Luke guides us through this song. And I want to come back up for a few final words. You can be seated. There are some of you here today who may have never received the free gift of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never allowed the hero to save you. Maybe you're still kind of caught in that prison, you know, under that curse of sin and death, and, and you desperately need to be saved. And, and maybe, you, maybe you know that today in this moment. And I'm going to guide us all in kind of a prayer of restoration. And um, being restored to God is, is simple. You know, it's, it's really simple. It's confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Now, I don't want anybody to feel any pressure about this. If, um, if this is something like you're not ready for, great, keep exploring. You know, we invite you to explore uh, what a relationship is like here with God. And uh, we want to give you the space to do that. And so whatever questions maybe you have to ask or more exploration you need to do, awesome, do that. But there are probably some of you that know today is kind of the day. You see the hero standing, sword drawn, and arms open for you. And you know you just need to respond and you need to come running and into his embrace. Um, and so I'm going to ask everybody to kind of close your eyes and bow your head. And it, it, nothing symbolic about that other than to di- kind of hide out distractions is, is basically all that is. And so a conversation with God is to be restored with him is simple and it, it can go like this. And so I'm going to ask you if, if this is the moment that you want to be restored to him for the first time in your life, that you would 
pray these words quietly in your heart to God after I pray them aloud. God, I've rebelled against you. I've disobeyed you and have chosen from the tree of death. Please forgive me. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Jesus, I receive your free gift of salvation. Please guide me as I follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've prayed that prayer just in that moment for you personally, that this is kind of your moment, that you crossed the bridge of faith this morning, you've been made right with God, I'm going to ask you to do something courageous. Um, We just sang a song about God standing for us and us standing for God with arms wide open and hearts abandoned. And so I'm going to ask you to stand for Him. Now, just so you know, there are no brownie points that you get with God if you stand. All right, so God doesn't, you know, put an extra star next to your name when you get to heaven. And if you decide not to stand, there's no disappointment from God either. So he's not going to be disappointed in you if you decide in this moment not to stand. But I just thought, how cool would it be? Jesus died for us. Maybe in this moment we could stand for him. And so if you have crossed the bridge of faith, if you've been restored to God this morning, in this moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. Welcome. Welcome to the family of God. You have been restored to the King. You are now part of God's family. And He welcomes you in. And He says, You have a place, you fit, you belong. And He'll start unfolding your role in the story as you walk forward and getting to know Him better. He's got a role for you. He's got a task for you to play. Something he wants you to do and he wants you to radically change humanity by bringing his love to the world around you. And so welcome. Would you help me welcome these to the family? You can go ahead and be seated. Forgive me if I start crying up here. I'm happy for you. The next step in following this up is called baptism. It's being baptized. Jesus modeled this for us. He was baptized, and he said, I want you to be baptized. Once you cross the bridge of faith and and get to know me and you're restored to me, I want you to proclaim it to the world through this thing called baptism. And baptism, all it is, is a one-time public act. It's one time that you kind of proclaim to God, I have received your salvation. I have been made right with you. And you proclaim it to God and the world around you. It's very symbolic. It's symbolic of when you're baptized, when you go underwater, it's symbolic of us dying to our old lives. And when we come out of the water, it's symbolic of being raised to a new life in Jesus Christ. And uh, today we're doing a baptism down at the ocean. And um, with the weather and the coolness and all that stuff, when you come out of the water, you will probably feel the most alive you've ever felt. And so God probably figured that out for you. So if you want to be baptized today, if you, you don't have to do it today. You can do that when, whenever you desire. But uh, God says, hey, why not today? You, know, you 
across the bridge of faith today. At 3 o'clock down at Flagler Beach, we will be joining Palm Coast Community Church. They're having a baptism today, and so they helped sponsor us. And so we thought, hey, we're just going to go celebrate baptism with you. And if anybody here wants to be baptized today, I'm going to ask you to do something with me. You need to stay afterwards, just for a moment. We're going to come over here, meet in this section. I'm going to get your name, make sure we know that you want to be baptized. How many are coming this afternoon? going to be a part of that with us. And I encourage you, if you're not being baptized today, just come anyway and celebrate and, and cheer these people on as they do this. Uh, 16th Street North at 3 p.m. Flagler Beach. So you head down, once you hit the ocean, take a left and head north and then uh, to 16th Street. You'll see us down on down the other side. Come look for me and uh, bald head. You'll be able to find me pretty easy. Um, and we'll get you, we'll make sure you're on the list and ready to go. Um, let's see, what else do I need to say? Baptism. Anybody that confesses uh, to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ can be baptized. If you've never been baptized before and would like to be baptized today, and maybe you made that decision that, that several made today, you did that at another time in your life and you've not been baptized, you can be baptized today. Um, know this about baptism. That's not the key that gets you into heaven. Baptism is just that thing that happens after you get the key. Um, it's just the follow-up statement kind of a deal. Uh, and children, if you've got kids that, that you may want to be baptized, how we practice this here at Epic is when a child is old enough to make the decision themselves, when they're old enough to say, I want to be restored to Jesus Christ, when they're old enough to say, I know that Jesus died for me and I confess that with my mouth, I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, then they can be baptized. So what is that age? It's up to you as parents to navigate your kids through that journey. I'm going to close out in prayer, and after I do, then Robert's going to come up and tell you some, uh, some of the things that we've got going on around here, and then remember afterwards, come up and see me here if you're going to be baptized. Let's pray. God, I am uh, very humbled in your presence. Lord, I'm humbled by your story that unfolds around us every day, and a story that you've invited us into, that we get to be a part of. And a role that we have to play, a significant role, a critical role. And Lord, for those that crossed that bridge today, for those that were restored to you today, Lord, I pray that you would speak powerfully to them in the next few weeks and months about the role that they have to play. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Robert. Luke's going to keep playing while I do announcements just because it's so darn cool to have music accompanying me. So um, one of the things that we, w- we want to challenge you guys is to go a little bit deeper. Um, and there's definitely deeper notes that are online at uh, theepicchurch.com. Matthew eleven twenty nine and 30 says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And yoke's a tough word. We all, we all can imagine... Uh, an oxen wearing a yoke and plowing a field, but a yoke was also a rabbi's teaching, and that's what Jesus is talking about. So we challenge you to do that. We challenge you to read, explore, and to question what we're learning about here and to go to that next level. Um, missions trip coming up in 2010. Those are some of the things you can see uh, at the, the other at the resources link. Um, we're planning our first missions trip for the summer of 2010, uh, either Central America or South America. Not really sure yet. Um, but we want you to start thinking about that, possibly in June. Um, and it's something that, that is definitely, God called us all to be missionaries, to go out and to bring, bring the word to other parts of the world. 
Uh, and additionally, um, for those people that are missionaries, there's a great need for people to go and to restore their faith and to restore their souls. Um, so we're looking into that right now, and we just want you guys to really look at that, and that's on serving opportunities on our website. Um, another piece of this is we are epic dot ning.com which is our online faith book if you will uh it's a <laughs> i knew you'd love that um that's our that's our site uh where you can join in the community it's a very safe place to explore and to get to know each other a little bit better um i'm going to mention the baptism one more time uh again at <laughs> three o'clock this afternoon 16th street north um it's a little bit chilly but just remember it's a few minutes of discomfort with a payoff of everlasting life and that's huge um, and the last thing that we want to challenge all of you to do is to find somebody to talk to here that you don't know or don't know well. Um, it's one of the ways that I grew my faith very quickly when I first started attending church and claimed Jesus to be my Lord and Savior as well. Uh, finding that person that could help me grow that faith. Um, and with that, I ask you all to reach next to you, talk to somebody a little bit, and you're free to go. Have a great day.